Signs of the Southland, 12th February, 2024. Gentlemen, Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket has won another Super Bowl. Harrison Butker in his fourth Super Bowl appearance. The most of any Georgia Tech athlete has won his third with the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's read out some records that he set while doing so, shall we? Second most points of all time of any individual player in Super Bowl history behind Jerry Rice. Rice is at 48. Butker is at 37. The longest ever field goal in a Super Bowl at 57 yards, uh, which he took off San Francisco's Jake Moody of Michigan as well. Uh, That record of 55 was set maybe four minutes prior. Not many minutes. It's very quickly. Very quickly. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, Bucker also has the most field goals of any kicker in Super Bowl history all time at nine. He's tied for the most field goals in a single Super Bowl at four. He is Georgia Tech's first three-time Super Bowl champion. He's now passed Bill Curry and Shaq Moore on the all-time list. Jack, in our document here, you have... Harrison Butker has to be in the top tier of NFL players from tech now. Care to care to deliberate? Care to elaborate? I feel like winning matters and contributing to winning matters. And when you measure best ofs, I'm not going to deep deep dive this right now. But just in general, uh, you can't not have this discussion. Not mention the fact that he has directly contributed a lot to to championship winning teams. In championship games, in particular, uh, which uh, it, it's just one, it's just one of the categories. There's, of course, there's many other categories, and he's a kicker, which is its own uh, caveat in the middle of all this. But uh, for a kicker, if you, I mean, this is the dream situation. I think, and I mean, it's what Vinatieri did for ages. Is what Goskowski did. Like this is he's up in the NFL. Certainly, he's already up there in all-time kickers. Uh, so yeah, it's just I, I don't know if he'll ever actually be be the number one. He, he will never be the number one tech player out of tech just because Megatron exists. Um, but it's he's he's he at least needs to be recognized whenever the conversation happens now, I think. And I think that's an important distinction to make is top tier of NFL players from tech, as we kind of went into on our Mount Rushmore episode, which is pretty good content. You all should go check it out. But um, that's not really the same as like, you know, Mount Rushmore of people based on their contributions at tech, of course, right. great contributions while at tech. Um, yeah. And he's still course. a leading kicker, I believe. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I know tech hasn't made a 50 or more yard field goal since he left. Like Aiden, again, Bird, did that. Aiden Bird had at least one. Really? I think he had one. He's had attempts from 50, but I would be shocked if we went back and yeah. checked that he's made. Okay. I was going to say that was, that was in our College very own kickers. Slack. I was going to say, our football guys are pretty good about that. notoriously bad from anything beyond 40 yards. Like, yeah. once you start getting to, once you start getting past 50 yards, you're talking about worse than a coin flip success, success rate. So, keep uh, that in right. mind. He, he got a 48-yarder. That was the high. Yeah. Good for him. Crazy there. But, anyways. Good, good for him. Today, uh, in today's episode, we'll also have Charles Gilly here to talk baseball with us and preview the opening weekend for this season. But let's start with talking about the men's and women's basketball teams, shall we, gentlemen? 
Women's basketball first up, two losses on the week by a total of five points, by three to number 23 Syracuse, and by two to, I believe, previous Final Four combatant Miami. The second one is, uh, of course, the Tasha Tough or the, the Think Pink game, uh, former uh, defense coordinator, assistant coach uh, Tasha Butts, who passed away recently, was recognized at the game. Uh, and her family uh, got an honorary jersey for the game as in a small ceremony as well, which is super nice to see. Jack, uh, you're our foremost women's basketball correspondent, as you were at, I think, both. Or you were you at at least the Miami one. Yeah. Give me the – I'm going to give you a challenge here. Give me the five-word oh. summary on both of these games. Oh, my goodness. Five words. And. Dang it. Oh, man. Dang it. That's fair. Again? Oh, man, dang it. No, there it is. That's five. Oh, man, dang it. That, dang it again. There we go. Yep. Explain. Um, Elaborate. Yeah, yeah. So, funny enough, we've played the number 23 team of the country three times this year. It's like how football only played the number 17 team if they didn't play a ranked team that wasn't Georgia. Uh so I mean, the Syracuse game was on the road. They've been we've mentioned before, like it's been a surprisingly good team for for them. Like they were not that relevant recently, and now they're up here making making moves in the ACC and on the national stage. And we nearly had nearly had that game. Uh, we were absolutely in it and just could not finish down the stretch. Um, and then same thing against Miami. We had second half leads, couldn't finish down the stretch. Um, uh, they do this team. I said it against about the series. I said it about teams games in the past, but this team just does not know how to finish games. They don't have the what the Chiefs have in that they find ways to win games. Uh, the good segue. Tech women's basketball does not really have that trait in them right now. At least they were winning in the fourth quarter. Like they absolutely had a shot to beat Syracuse. Um, but just and they. Should have lost by more, but Syracuse missed some key free throws that gave us at least one chance to win to at least tie it, but we could not. And then against Miami, we had a lead, we had a nine point lead in the third quarter and then floundered that. We came back within two in the fourth, but never really made a dent. Um, I I wrote a long piece today that was half a recap of that Miami game, half a what the hell is going on piece. Um, it we turned the ball. Most of our a third of our turnovers come from Tony Morgan, which I think is just a product of she's high usage, which is fine. But we don't really have a center that can play defense right now. Uh, they do some defensive rating stuff in the stat broadcast things per game, but I don't know what it is on the season average as a whole. But Aisha Won Arena and Ari Turmis both pretty generally do not have good defensive ratings within single games. And it keeps happening, and that means Caleb Blackshear, who is much more of a power forward, is having to play, kind of play center in some morphed way, which is not ideal. Um, they need to they did they're just completely missing a position on the on the floor and don't have enough to compensate for that. So that's a problem. But even then, like we need some killer instincts. We just don't have it right now. We've had games where we've barely lost, but we haven't really had games where like the games we have barely won were against bad teams too. Which I don't yeah. like. Uh, yeah. So when we lose, I, I'll, I losing just barely to a ranked team, I guess is kind of progress because we were losing by a lot to ranked teams. But then we've also lost by a gazillions to ranked teams. So it's I, we're finding a way to lose basically in those games. Um, the only positive I have right now, which is not the only, but the main one is we have five games left. 
And only one of them is against a team that's in the top eight of the ACC. The rest are either Miami, again, who is nine, we're 10, and then the rest are below. Um, so I really need us to win three of these games just for my own sanity to feel like we've made progress. Because if we slip up here at the end, it will not feel like progress from last year. Um, I, I Hopefully the, rec the recruits next year are going to be good. But I, in a league of guards where freshman guards are doing have done surprisingly well and kind of run this conference for the last few years, uh, we haven't had those people to do that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, too late in the season to make any ma massive change, but uh, there's still some room for a positive demonstration. I would like to get in a word edgewise before we move on. Um, I think it's pretty clear that this team is very consistent in the way that we've kind of identified the the deficiencies. I hate harping on that. I, Jack, is that a fair place to frame what I'm about to say? That yeah, we've we seen a lot of the same themes yep. and it's not really productive for me to be like, oh my gosh, this thing that we already talked about. Here's me rambling about it again. Is that a fair framing for what I'm about to say? Sure. All right, cool. Uh, I think at the end of the day, there are clear and obvious steps towards improvement, which involve, you know, whether that's just having people that can close out, having people that are, uh, I, I don't know, clutch is not a statistic, Akshay, as you well are, are one to say, but somebody who can just get a bucket and break a streak. It's a team that we've seen go quiet for so long. And that's, it feels like that's bigger than just like a coaching or talent ID thing. Yes, playing without a true five is, is not awesome. Also, without a non-true, like, you know, scoring threat one, I, I feel like is, is a fair way to describe some of the season two. But the, the four-guard lineup is just not, uh, it, it's not setting them up for success in the no. ACC this year as much as I think, at least maybe with some of the rose-colored glasses at the beginning of the year, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, Tony's talented. We're excited about Sidney Johnson, Inez Naguero, Kara Dunn, Agustinate. You know, like, there's a lot that you could, or Caleb Blackshear, too, that you could kind of, like, yeah. Oh yeah, like there's these positives, but I, I really feel like the sum of the ways in which this team just is not it doesn't feel like a complete team yet. And I think that that's something that's that's really that's really showed. And I don't know whether that's a lack of growth, a lack of ID, a lack of clutch, whatever that is, there's something missing. And it's just it I don't know. It feels unfair to be like, ah, I get better. But it also yeah. feels like fair to be like, this is frustrating, and it seems like it's been something that's consistently, you know, the, the same yes. issue. I feel like I'm talking in a big circle, trying not to no, be like anything mean let me, or let me, harsh here. Let me put you know? some number. Let me put some numbers to it. We were four and fourteen in the conference last year. We've already got. We were zero and nine on the road. Uh, this yeah. year, we are already at five ACC wins. We're five and eight right now, and have won twice on the road. So there are actual signs, like points that show progress. Um, yeah. When you're still losing more than you're winning in your conference, you, you, you start to feel it eventually. Yeah. Also, this team, much like the men's team that we will talk about, the fouls just kill me. And like one is just, just it, go to the men's it, team. I think we're done here. It, oh, yeah. Team. I was going to say, like, if oh, actually, no, 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 I, I don't no, want to no, no. take we'll it away spend, from you, but no, no, no. We'll spend even less time on the men's team because I legitimately do not want to talk about them all that much. Because they have put together two of the most aberrant basketball losses I think I've ever seen in my lifetime in the past week. 
And I don't think that that is an exaggeration. Louisville is getting nationally clowned on for how dysfunctional their program is and has been for two years. And they put up 20 points and a half versus Wake Forest and a half in which what Wake scored 56 points. Including including multiple, multiple double digit Wake streaks, including one that was what 13 minutes long and 20 to zero. The, The score was like 33 to five and it felt like it should have been worse. Like that's not a great place to be. Like it's it's not. Yeah. It, it's just blatantly unacceptable. Like yeah. I, it, it's past the point of ha ha funny. Let's like let's be like kind of apathetic about it into just like Jeff Collins levels of embarrassment. Oh no! Uh, like I, I no, wanna... that, that it's not no. that bad. Like I think there's like the program has signs of growth <laughs> underlying to the that Jeff did not. But that is what you are flirting with narratively here. Yeah. The variance is just so much higher than what we were seeing last year for shockingly, dare I say, similar results. The highs are so much higher and the lows are there. They're there, too. Tech is also worthy of noting one and two against that Louisville team over the last two years combined. Two road losses, one home win. Uh, Someone sent me a stat. Hold on. About specifically Louisville and Tech. And now I have to go scroll to find it. Kenny Payne at Louisville is two and one versus Georgia Tech, and ten and forty three versus literally everyone else. Oh. it is unacceptable for a high major—not even high major—for an ACC basketball team to be this terrible at what they are ostensibly supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like, this Wake Forest what game extensively is, exist for. This Wake Forest game is like the only one that like theoretically went how it should. We should have played up. We should have put up way more points and not given up this many points. But like just a clear defeat against a team that's better than us. Like we are right now haven't beaten Notre Dame or Louisville, who on the ACC website are still listed below us in the standings technically, but we're all three and ten. But yet we beat North Carolina, put up a fight against Virginia, beat Duke, and put up a fight against North Carolina State and beat Clemson. So it's. It's the back. It's the backwards team. For whatever reason, we have to play Notre Dame next. So, who knows how that's going to go? <laughs> so here, here's my last point on on men's basketball. Wake Forest a couple of years ago was at at not at this point in their downslope, but they were egregiously bad at basketball, uh, and they made one good coaching hire. Uh, I think Steve Forbes is the guy there now, but now they I've built up their program into a zone of, if not respectability of competence to upper quartile of the ACC in terms of quality. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, if, I'd say if they're not in the upper quartile of the ACC, they're knocking on the door. They're what fifth, in the conference in net, they're a top 35 team in the country based on based on um, the net ranking. You know, like that that's an, a pretty not terrible place to be if, if you're awake, knocking on the door for a, an NC2A bid. I think that is the model that I would like this program to follow is if you're going to bottom out. Well, not even I hope this is the bottom, right? I hope this yeah. is the the bottom of the parabola, and that's what they're building towards. And yes, it's year one, year zero, you you label it how you may, but there needs to be an up, like an upslope here. 
Um, and it's just going to take some time to realize it and build out the program. But I want to be very clear in my opinion of this week in men's basketball, it is legitimately unacceptable to lose those two games in that fashion to those teams. Yep. Well, to I mean, Louisville. Wake's not a and bad team. No, no, no. To, to Louisville, it's unacceptable to lose yeah. that game. To Wake, it's unacceptable to lose in that fashion, not because of the opponent. I mean, and, and Louisville, 25 fouls. We don't have to get into the nitty-gritty leading by nine late. It 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 was about as advertised there. Anyway, Jack, where can the people find women's basketball next? Uh, women will play at – they play at Clemson on Thursday, North Carolina State, and at North Carolina State on Sunday. Uh, I don't know – oh, the men play at Notre Dame. That's on point this week in Purcell. Fun stuff. Let's move on to a much happier topic. The number five in the nation men's golf team last seen in beautiful Hawaii at the Amar Ari Intercollegiate. They finished sixth overall. The winner in that tournament was number one UNC. They were 18. Tech was 18 strokes behind UNC. Jake, you're usually our golf expert here. What can you give me an idea of the field, the competition that was at Amerari this year? Yeah, I, I can I can give that just for some schedule clarification. This is a pretty typical invite for for Georgia Tech to wind up at in, in terms of the actual performance they had. I would say it's pretty good. Um, Team wise, they were fifty under par on the week, but uh, actually only wound up. In sixth overall, uh, 18 shots behind North Carolina, the leaders. Bode's kind of interesting for ACC play, but just to round things out in the middle, Arizona State uh, finished five strokes behind UNC. Auburn, five strokes after that. Texas Tech at minus 57, tied with Washington and Georgia Tech following up behind them. Last year, we saw Florida State, Georgia Tech, North Carolina kind of wind up in pretty similar spots, uh, ACC prognostication-wise uh, in, in the postseason play. Um, but to see North Carolina as far as they were in front of Tech on a team scale, I'd say that's certainly an, an interesting start to the year, perhaps maybe not sustainable, but that's for the rest of the season to to find out, I suppose. Tech, uh, overall, like uh, on any given day, I mean, they shot a, a minus 23 to close things out in round three, whereas North Carolina was just at a measly uh, minus 22 on any given day. Of course, they can be up there with UNC, but whew, they came out of the gate strong and uh, certainly kept it up. Um, you know, sh- shooting a 262 across your entire lineup, uh, that puts you in a nice spot uh, for perspective. That's Tech's, so uh, yeah, Tech's minus 23 on the day only netted them a, a 265. Uh, so so that UNC, of course, winds up to a, a minus 26 on a round, which is kind of nuts. Um, that UNC team, the number one overall UNC team, you might remember from the national semifinal last year, in which yep. Tech defeated them three to two. So a nice little reminder, like you said, of the competition level in the ACC. Um, some of the other teams there uh, and rankings with their rankings from November, because I don't think there has been another coaches poll since. Number mm-hmm. four, Arizona State. Number three, Auburn. 22, Texas Tech. Uh, and seven Washington also there. So very competitive group. Um, I think we we talked a little bit before we were recording, Jack, about Crystal Lamprex performance in particular, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he 
didn't play badly. He finished 14th overall. Um, but he wasn't our he wasn't our top guy this time. It was Bartley Forrester, who he shot a 367s uh and finished 15 under par, um, which was eighth overall. So he was our he was our main guy throughout the week. Um it was I think what we were really highlighting on for Krista was that he shot uh and what was it? He shot a what was it? Uh, well, he shot six under on uh, on Sunday, so it's not like he had a bad bad day. He was our best player on Sunday, actually. Um, but in general, yeah, the fact he's not our best guy, I think it's fine. Uh, when Bartley's playing as good as he was playing, um, uh, Carson Kim was three under, Kel Fontenot was seven under, and Hiroshi Tai was thirteen under overall. Um, so we had three guys within the top twenty. Uh, but the difference between Hiroshi at 13 under and Kale Fontenot at seven under was uh, about 35 guys in between them, which there's your difference in terms of why we were sixth in the overall standings and on the top five um, and a clear and like seven shots back from Washington and Texas Tech who were ahead of us. Um, so, I mean, overall, it's not, I, I, this is a lot with a lot like what the NCAA field's going to look like once we get to that point. Um, so, it's just a matter of just getting reps. I think and just staying confident, staying the course. Hope, hope we're playing hot at the at when we get down to down to the end. Um, so, yeah, generally, generally pretty good. I would say nothing, nothing, nothing to worry about. Nothing to scoff at. North Carolina is really freaking good. They can do this any given day, but, but we can as well. So, yeah, agreed, uh, agreed. You'll next see men's golf at the Water Sound Invitational. That'll be next Monday through next Wednesday. That's February 19th through the 21st. Let's move over to Shirley Mewborn Clements Field. Next, let's talk about the Buzz Classic. Here are your weekend results for Georgia Tech. They finished the weekend 3-3. Three and three. They beat Villanova 3-2 on opening day. And then on the Friday, they went, they've lost to Alabama 3-1. Lost to Villanova again, five to two. Lost to Alabama, five to one, and then picked up two wins on Sunday versus Longwood, nine one and ten two. Charles, uh, you were on site for this game for this or for these series of games. What are your thoughts on the team to open the year? What are some of the things that you saw while you were there? Hey, yeah. So honestly, I was, you know. There was some good, some bad, and that's to be expected within the the first six games of a season. Um, honestly, uh, I was overall pretty impressed with the pitching. I think that's going to be like the number one concern going into this season um, is how well we do in the circle. And sure, um, you know, Chandler Dennis got, you know, she got hit a little bit, um, but for the vast majority, um, you know, Sophia Voiles and Kenzie Norton and um, uh, Blake Nelliman. I thought pitched really well and kept us in a lot of those games. I mean, especially when you play the kind of talent uh, like as Alabama, uh, really we were in those games for basically the entirety. So that was really, really good to see. Um, makes me hopeful for the rest of the season. Makes sense. Makes sense. Jack, you were also there. Anything else uh, you want to add there? Yeah, I think that's a good a good state. Um, I think of note, Bama was 11th in the country, and Villanova usually wins the Big East. Or they're right there, and they just didn't win it last year, which is why they didn't make the tournament. Uh, but they're, I remember Charles telling us like they were a borderline tournament team, and they certainly play pretty well at the same time. So they have 
they 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 the broadcaster saying like they play as if they expect to be playing tournament games down the stretch uh, in the se- at the end of the season and winning their conference. So that's uh, I they, mean, they're not a bad I, team to have here. Out of the Big East, they may not have won the the conference tournament, but uh, a 69th overall. Uh, you know, RPI ranking is not a terrible spot to be. It just unfortunately yeah. puts you just outside of that uh, that reach if you're not in, you know, not in not in the mix for the tournament and, and the Big East. You know, having five teams in the you know above 200s really hurts them there. Uh, to say nothing about you know them acquitting themselves well generally right. in the regular season. Otherwise, yeah, uh, they showed some fight in that first game against Bamba. We were down three nothing going into the bottom of the seventh, but Mallory Black hit a home hit a really nice opposite field homer. Her first, I think she had she had two or she had she had a multi home run weekend. Uh, the transfer from USD Upstate, Tiffany Domingue, she had a uh, well, a Jaden Gailey came in and had multiple pinch hit hits this weekend, which is really cool to see. So someone who was functionally doing the pinch hitting stuff as good as you can. And then we Domingue had an absolute rocket off the bat, but went straight to the second baseman, which sucked. Um, and, but then Nova, the the second field Nova game was a little weird. Uh, we had uh, Chandler started. Uh, got hit early in the first inning and then had to come out. Uh, I guess just I was watching on TV. It just seemed like she was having a moment for also non softball reasons. I, I don't know for sure. I had no idea. I didn't want to speculate. They didn't tell me anything specifically, but it was obvious she was not. It, it probably it was in her best interest to not pitch the, the rest of that game. Uh, and so they let Blake throw. Um, in general, I think what's most interesting about this, we finished three and three. I think that's absolutely reasonable considering uh, how much we didn't know about the team and knowing that they're probably going to lose both games to Bama can go one-on-one against Villanova. And sure enough, we went one-on-one against Villanova and then beat uh, Longwood. Uh, but the whole pitch, as Charles was saying, the whole pitching staff pitched. Uh, everyone got a shakedown. I think if we played this last year, yeah, I mean, I think we mentioned this last week, like it was a lot of Chandler and a lot of Blake and not much else. Uh, but Kinsey threw, uh, how many, how many innings did she, it turned into sheer at, or where is it? Sorry, I got it up here. Yeah, Kenzie uh, threw seven. Kenzie threw seven. Blake threw thirteen and two thirds. Sophia threw nine and a third, and Chandler only ended up throwing three and a two thirds. And most of that was in the first game against Villanova. Uh, so, but Jaden got three innings. Michaela Caulfield, their new lefty, got a little bit of work against Longwood. Uh, so that was that's reassuring to me. They want to use they. Uh, I said they want to use the whole pitching staff, and they. It did the that exact thing to start, uh, which feels necessary considering who we have coming down the pipe this week too. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's what sticks out to me is that that and then also that Sarah Beth Allen and Ella Edgman are just only getting on base. It's very nice to see that. It's good. It's what you need. Why do we like these players? Because they get on base. Yes. <laughs> uh. Let me read out some stats. Uh, Ella Edgman's on-base percentage, actually lower than I thought, 400 uh, this weekend. Sarah Beth Allen's, though, 684. Um, also, Sarah Beth Allen with a 538 batting average. Ella Edgman at three, uh, 368. Um, a pretty nice, significant chunk of the team that's right over uh, right over 300. Obviously, yeah. early days, um, low at-bats, low sample size here. Um, but... Pretty, pretty interesting. I, I think going back to what y- y'all said about the pitching staff, it's very Tampa Bay Razy, right? Let's use an opener. Let's not let these pitchers go through the opposing lineup multiple times. 
Yep. Like, let's try to be a little strategic and limit the amount of damage or limit limit the amount of familiarity that these uh, that these opposing hitters can dial in um, on our pitchers. And like you said, they used let's say six pitchers to cover thirty nine innings, right? And, and that's great. Nelliman was only in because uh, Nelliman is only the leader on that board just because she was in versus in versus a tougher opponent, right? So. Um, I think early on, at least to me, that pitching strategy seems sound. Like, I like it on the face. Um, we'll sort of evaluate how this works at, throughout the course of the season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what else was I thinking? Uh, well, and if just to take this time here, uh, Jen Saleo had multiple web gym esque plays yes. at shortstop this weekend, too. She looked in midseason form. Uh, I remember what like the first game against Villanova. She had some. She jumped up and caught some line drive like right above her head, and then it may have been the same game. There was Villanova was threatening in the seventh because uh, they cut it to a three-two lead, and then she threw throughout oh, yes. the potential tying run at home. I yep, mean, just yep. excellent in the field. At her first, and I remember one of the things we noted was we needed to see her bat kind of come alive the first ball she saw she rocketed a one hopper off the wall yeah in the opposite in the opposite gap so that was really cool to see just her bat being a little bit more consistent she hit 300 she got three hits this weekend yeah she yeah she got three hits 10 at bat and 10 at bats um not many total bases sadly but yeah had a had a double had an rbi which is very good to see for her um and yeah perfect from the field eight assists uh most of anybody out there so that was that was really good to see. Uh, Grayson Tucker, one of our freshmen, she ended up starting three of the games uh, and appeared in five, but she had her first career homer. Uh, she had a couple RBIs for her. On base is 455. It's only, it's 455, and she's only got three fewer at-bats than Sarah Beth Allen. Granted, a lot of those were against Longwood, so not exactly your... Uh, the av- Not the average opponent we will be playing this year, but in her chances to do some damage, she did some damage, which is... Very good to see just in terms of sheer depth, which is going to be very necessary come these next few games. Last thing that I noticed from this weekend looking at the box scores here is that Tech was, I mean, I guess I don't know how to put this in context, but Tech went five for five on stolen base attempts, which I find really interesting. I, I don't know offhand if that those were all against Longwood um, or they were trying these in more... Um, Optimal uh, situation, optimal maybe not the Ella. right word, but more 50-50 situations, right? Versus Alabama versus right. Villanova. So, yeah, um, I don't know if either of you have insight on those. I know Ella stole a base against Alabama, but there was one that happened. Oh, I'm trying to find my notes. This was against Nova against someone. This may have been against Nova, where we had a stolen base that got reviewed and turns out that a there was running left before the pitch. And so they had, it was an automatic out or whatever, because she technically illegally left first base before she was allowed to, which I forgot was a rule. Cause I've watched too much baseball in my life, but softball's being softball. Um, also, apparently there's a pitch clock now this year. It's optional whether you put it in your field or not. We did not baseball did. Um, baseball so, had hold on, wait, hasn't baseball. college baseball had one? Yes, they had one last year as well. They had one last year, and uh, basically, what I was told it was 
if it wasn't heavily heavily enforced was my understanding and what i've heard uh but now there's actually gonna be a clock i didn't it didn't feel i like definitely was, saw a couple of violations last year so those must have been pretty egregious i think i, think I wasn't it was paying like, attention to the action i think timing. it was like the Giannis taking 12 seconds at the free throw line kind of thing versus the strict strict version that exists now in pro baseball um it felt like that in the field. Granted, it's a little bit easier to go faster in softball compared to baseball because there's much less stuff happening in between pitches. Um, but that, that apparently they have it. Um, and they've expanded the replays. I forgot what specifically they can expand replays for, but there is now more. There will be more things you could potentially review this year uh, in in softball. Interesting. Good to, good to know. Good to keep in the back pocket. Anyway... None of this, uh, or all of this is, is all interesting. It's all great until you realize the buzzsaw teams that base that softball is playing in Clearwater, Florida next week. Just to go over the schedule one more time before we take a short break Stanford up first on Thursday, then LSU, Minnesota, Northwestern, Tennessee, and then finally Oklahoma State. All of those games on the ESPN family and networks. There's a couple on ACC network. There's a couple on uh, ESPN plus and ESPNU. I think that Stanford one is a 10 a.m. start on ESPNU actually on Thursday uh, and your first ACC on ACC violence of the year. So Jake, you're, you're a softball connoisseur. You're a long big picture softball connoisseur. Uh, how is this going to go? Uh, <laughs> you know the, no, that's the not Ralph Wiggum meme not start, is it? where he's what like, what he meant I'm to say danger. was not well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't want to be a downer, uh, but between Stanford, LSU, Minnesota, Northwestern, Tennessee, uh, and Oklahoma State, all of those teams are quite good and quite spooky. I'm going to be frank. If Tech can win one of those six of those games... I would be pretty pleased with that outcome. Not uh, maybe not pretty pleased, but I would call that a, about as close to a win as you can get. Like just get one. All, all these teams are are, are pretty darn good. I, I think um, Minnesota probably is the most gettable. You guys can you know why? Yeah, wise heads can can differ, but I mean, it, <laughs> there's a reason but that these games are on ESPNU and the ACC network and and whatnot. Those those are. It's the real deal. We're, we're about to, the season's about to get here fast. And I say this knowing full well that Villanova profiles essentially identical, at least last year, profiled essentially identical to Georgia Tech. So uh, it, it's a step up and, and all these teams are quite good. Let me read the, the so D1 softball has their updated rankings already after the weekend. Let me at least read where these teams are ranked. Uh, Stanford is 13, LSU 9, Minnesota not ranked, but they received votes in the first rankings, I believe. Uh, Northwestern 24, Tennessee 3, Oklahoma State 4. Hooray. Uh, if they get even one of those, the RPI goes up significantly. Yes. So there is that. <laughs> we have stats to play for, everyone. Woohoo. Think of the stats. <laughs> think, of, think of the analytics. Won't someone think of the analytics, the poor nerds? <laughs> At some point, mm. someone will. Uh, so that's Clearwater. That's softball. We'll be back to talk about baseball after this short break. 
Yes, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Section 103. Section 103 is the very best place to get Georgia Tech apparel. It is uh, unique and unable to be procured anywhere else. Section103.com. Don't go for any Navy Haynes King NIL shirts. They're sold out uh, because everyone loves supporting Haynes King, but they have a plethora of other options in all sorts of colors, including other NIL options, including uh, Miles Kelly. I believe the Dante Smith stuff has gone to clearance, but uh, as always, keep an eye out there for new things as as they launch. Hopefully, um, you know, maybe maybe baseball and softball goes well. We we see some stuff coming down the pipe, but that's me. Uh, you know, wishful thinking some of this into existence. In the meantime, feel free to sec- uh, check out Section 103 at Section 103 on Twitter, Section103.com. And remember to use uh, the code FTRS for 10% off. Welcome back to Science of the Southland for Monday, February 12th. Let's start talking about the 2024 baseball season. A quick, a very quick review of the 2023 baseball season. No NCAA tournament for Georgia Tech. They got uh, eliminated early in the ACC tournament. Pitching coach Danny Burrell was canned after the year um, and replaced. We'll talk about that in a minute. I summarized this thusly. The season happened. Not a lot actually happened. It's just, I think it's just time to move on and see what 2024 brings. Jack, you're up first. Tell me about the parts of the team that are returning for 2024. Uh, not that much, in all honesty. Uh, I think our, your big, big, big notables are first baseman John Giesler, our Mostly relief pitcher who was forced into a starting role at times, Ben King, uh, Carson Sabathia, Terry Busey, scary Terry Busey, who was just a great, great closer. Uh, Aiden Finiteri did a lot of work uh, in relief as well. Or he's, he's Aiden starter relief. Uh, both? Probably I think both, he did honestly. a little bit of both. both. Yeah. I think we had, a, we had a lot of guys doing a little bit of both after last year. Um, Cameron Hill, who, while last year did, didn't exactly... Sh- Stand out. He had an exceptionally good winter ball stretch uh, up in the Cape Cod lead, so we're really, really looking forward to how he's going to do. Logan McGuire was supposed to be one of our top pitchers last year. I think our Friday starter, if I'm not mistaken. I'm kind of mostly trying to remember what Ben King told me. Um, but he's back from injury. He basically he missed basically the entire season last year because of injury, and they're I know they're excited to see him back. And then starting, and then our main catcher Tyler Minnick, uh, who may not be our main catcher this year, but he at least got a lot of run last year. Uh, I want to make one note about Ben right before we get into the rest of it. Uh, he's going to wear number 21 this year, which is Jim Poole's number. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a specific uh, designation a player gets as a year. He's already one of the team captains with Giesler, uh, but I want to read what Ben wrote on Twitter. Uh, Mr. Poole was the definition of a tech man. I'll never be able to express how meaningful his support was to me. It's an absolute honor to be chosen to wear his number, and I'll do my best to represent his legacy with honor on and off the diamond. Um, I think that speaks to how just awesome of a dude Ben is beyond just his impact on the field. So uh, in terms of just tech men being tech men, Ben King is working his way very strongly into being one of the positive, one of the best ones out there that tech baseball has had uh, for on and off field leadership, which is great to see. Um, beyond that, we have 26 new faces and uh, I default to Charles and Jake 
from here on out. What the hell to talk about? Well, let me get us started just talking about the new pitching coach. Uh, that's Matt Taylor replacing Danny Burrell. Uh, from the Braves, he spent three seasons also uh, at Georgia State immediately before coming to Tech. Much more of an emphasis on uh, the control and the command side of things, it, it sounds like, from what we've heard, than focusing more on the power, right? So um, yeah. we'll see how that translates uh, to Tech. I know Tech traditionally, has, especially the last 10 or so years, uh, has had – struggled right with the finding the strike zone bit of pitching at, at times uh and so we're just gonna have to <laughs> jake i can see you laughing about that one i it, it, it'll be an interesting change I, I think it's a change for for the better i think more control more command is good and i think that's some of the some of the times that we saw tech at its best right that 2018 team that 2019 team those guys were exceptional at putting the baseball where they wanted it to be. Um, and that's why they they succeeded a whole lot. Maybe they weren't throwing gas the whole time, but they were they were putting pitches in the right spot and making guys miss. Um, and so a return to the more traditional format of pitching, I think, will be be interesting. But I want to turn it over to to Charles and Jake to talk about these transfers. Uh, and freshman, uh, one of you pick a place to start because this list is massive. Yeah, I, I'll i take a stab at this first. I think it's important to keep in mind that baseball is, is interesting in that you do get a, a decent amount of opportunity to play different guys between pitchers and, and fielders and, and playing a decent number of games. So, you know, just because we don't mention somebody here doesn't mean they won't play at all. But it, it's also just, uh, you know, kind of trying to to read the tea leaves a little bit. Uh, names that pop out to me, Mike Bichetti, uh from Fairfield is first listed for us. But uh, I think most people might say, ah, oh, Fairfield. Eh. Um, they've had a pretty solid baseball program the last couple of years. Definitely a um, we've used the phrase before applying uh, transfers down in, in volleyball and, and softball, like, Hey, like we're trusting Nebraska or Texas's talent ID. In this case, uh, I'm trusting Fairfield's talent development. Uh, I, I think they're a pretty solid program. Um, but the other two, at least in terms of um, like lineup contributions, uh, infielder Peyton Green from NC state, uh, you know, the great uh, program up there. Elliot Avitt's been, you know, truly tremendous. They were in Omaha, what, two years ago, not that long ago. Uh, and Matthew Ellis, uh, catcher from Indiana, uh, Big Ten hasn't really been seen quite as on the same tier as the ACC or uh, SEC, Pac-12, uh, Pac Big 12 the last couple of years. But uh, Indiana was uh, in a super regional at Kentucky, uh, super regional at Kentucky. If not that, then cl close to it um, just last year. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're trusting, you know, some – some of that will carry over, but uh, in terms of guys coming in with experience, uh, I really like uh, those three, at least off the top of my head. Charles, Tanner's... any other names that stick out to you? Uh, no, I think I think Jake pretty much hit all the highlights there as far as transfers go. Um, you know, if we transition here to freshman, uh, James Ramsey signed the 19th ranked uh, incoming freshman class, according to D1 Baseball. And really the the big centerpiece of that class is going to be outfielder Drew Burris. Uh, he was the sixth ranked 
prep baseball report prospect um, who decided to uh, not leave with the draft. He decided to stay at tech. And so because of that, we're going to happen for the next few years. Um, And I'm sure we'll speak more about him later. The other really kind of big names with this freshman class is uh, Tate McKee, who has a, you know, running 94, 95 fastball. Uh, Then we have Ryan Jaros and Carson Curse, who quite honestly could be day one starters in the lineup and definitely mix in as far as the infield, Uh, you know, behind Bichetti. Um, so yeah, I think Burris and Jaros will for sure get honestly a lot of playing time this year. I think they're going to be maybe not household names on a national scale, uh, but I think tech fans will, will come to know them very well and you should expect to see them a lot in the lineup. One more note while I, when we're talking about the freshman here, I noticed that Michelle Kavala is listed as being from Czechia, the, the modern name for the Czech Republic. Yep. What's the? That's awesome. Like, what's the? Do we have any more information on the story there? I put that in here. Um, he was the number one rated pitcher or player out of Europe. Uh, or I think it was number one pitcher out of Europe. And so, yeah, we have a a, a Chechen for on, on the team. So. A, a Czech. A Czech. A, a Czech. That's right. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I, I, I should. It, because swim club influences everything, I'm going to make an allusion here. We've actually uh, gotten a couple of really interesting, um, you know, stories of, of kids who've come along either just from people I interacted with in school or folks that actually wound up swimming uh, for you know that that team. It, it's interesting to hear kind of just the chatter about tech as a you know destination name brand type place, be it engineering, sports, Atlanta. Uh, whatever, even outside of, you know, your your traditional, you know, Georgia Tech recruiting grounds, if you will, like, uh, you know, England, France, India, China, Korea, um, th- those kind of classic spots, you know, whether it's Spaniards or, or, or Czechs, it, it seems like Georgia Tech really, really gets out there even um, outside of the, you know, the, the, the core, the core, you know, Georgia plus some out of states with, with some key, key ties. He so I'm looking at this bio that's listed on the website on the text website. Uh, he was with the P27 Academy. He's played some perfect game uh, games before, but he pitched in the World Baseball Classic last year. Uh, he had four scoreless uh, in the uh, winner go home game against Germany. So he's played against I mean, obviously European baseballs. Not I mean it's, he's it's, a full he, bird Czech international is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, well, okay. Yeah, basically, yeah. There's a lot of. Uh, grandparents and stuff that are used as excuses to play for non-US based teams in the World Baseball Classic, a la Freddie Freeman playing for Canada. Uh so it, it not everyone is directly directly uh, like born and bred in said country they play for, but yeah, though he is at the, the deservedly Czech, he's listed his hometown is listed as the Czech Republic on the team website. So for all intents and purposes he will be the uh, the Chechen or the sorry, the Czech on the team. I don't know why I keep saying that. Let's talk a little bit about what we think this lineup is going to break down as. And uh, I, the way that I wanted to structure this is I wanted to go around the room and have people name a breakout star and a season make or break performer. Jake, I'm going to go to you first. Who is your breakout star for this year? This guy that you think he's going to be unreal. We're so hyped for him. We're so hyped to have him. He's going to be, 
he's going to be our ace in the hole, so to speak. Yeah, this is a really normy opinion, but I think that's going to be Karsten Sabathia. Um, I say this mostly off of vibes. Uh, I saw him get a couple at-bats last year. Really liked what I saw. Pretty pure swing. Um, obviously, everyone, most people uh, who follow baseball know that he is uh, of the lineage of CC Sabathia, noted uh, Yankees pitcher. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This is partially a vibes pick. I, I was trying to go for someone that, you know, wasn't necessarily coming in with a lot of transfer time or a lot of hype. Uh, but, uh, you know, Karsten was a good get. Uh, I'm excited to see what he could potentially do. Charles, who do you have as your breakout star for 24? Kind of going in the opposite direction here. Someone who's got quite a bit of hype coming into the season um, is the fr- the true freshman, Drew Burris. I mean, as I said, he was you know, the sixth ranked recruit. He didn't go in the draft. And you could really make the argument that he's the most talented player on the roster right now. Uh, you should look for him to lead off or play in the three hole. He's... 5'9", 185, super great arm, super quick bat speed, um, has a mature approach at the plate. I think this is somebody who very quickly is going to stand out. And uh, I don't know. I think this is somebody that Tech fans should should really be high on. I think as far as the field and at the plate, I think he's going to really kind of be the R our main star this year. He's a 10 on perfect game too. So that's a, it's a very big pedigree. Those guys generally know what they're doing. Um, let's move over to the make or break performer in the lineup. Charles, I want to go over to you first. Who does the season really hinge on? Whose success does the season really hinge on in terms of the lineup for you? Uh, as far as the season hinging on this guy, I think it's going to be, our, I guess, our top pitcher, uh, Ben King. He had this team best ERA of 373 last year. Um, you know, as what Jack said earlier, he's going to be our the, he's the honorary Jim Pool player. And in a lineup that has just question marks all over the place as far as our pitching goes, it's really going to be a, necess- a necessity that we have just an anchor in the bullpen who's going to be able to perhaps dig some of our starters out of some tough situations. And I really think uh, if Ben is able to do that, then we're going to win a lot more games this year. I mean, that's not to say that our starting pitching is going to be terrible, but there's just a lot of question marks there um, with uh, Terry Busey and Cameron Hill, you know, had a great Cape Cod uh, winner, but, you know, just as kind of a, an insurance plan, I think having been in the bullpen is going to be fantastic for us. Jake, over to you between the lineup, the rotation, and the bullpen. Who is your season hinging make or break performer? Yeah, we we already touched on 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 some of the transfers. I know that Peyton Green uh, kind of came to mind there. You know, defense batting experience, a good get, but I, I really think it comes down. Uh, to getting reliable starting pitching. Uh, It's something that Georgia Tech, quite frankly, outside of Connor Thomas and, yeah, I guess, Xavier Curry, too, in the, gosh, almost decade now that I've been following this team. um, I I saw that reaction, Akshay. That applies to you, too. Uh, You got to accept it. Um, I I think coming back around to having some reliable starting pitching, um, 
it is going to be big and it's going to be make or break taking Terry BC out of that effective closer role and into the starting lineup. Um, presumably, you know, whether that's eventually settles out to be, you know, setting a statement on not taxing your bullpen early in a series or, you know, uh, slamming the door on Saturday to get a series win winds up being, I think, you know, taking a proven closer commodity out of the bullpen. You need that to be reliable in terms of on the mound. And it's really not something outside of Connor that, that we've really truly had um, a, okay, I'm feeling good because of what's going on right now in the, in the, in the starting pitching. It's, it's been tough, um, but you know, maybe- All right, so let's talk about the schedule. Um, it's, I don't know, I, I think when we look this schedule over at the beginning of the year, or, or when this came out, excuse me, we were, I don't know, like other than the ACC games, we're just kind of, eh. I think this has been the second year in a row where the schedule has just kind of been, eh. like what are we really kind of doing here? Right. So I'm making sure that I have it pulled up before I say anything concrete. But you're talking about out of conference opponents like Radford. Obviously, you have Georgia Southern, you have Cornell that'll come here, the annual Clean Old Fashioned Hate series. But some of these other opponents in that same in that same bucket, Northeastern, Youngstown State, like uh, Kennesaw, we always play Presbyterian is a frequent appear. But, like, not a lot of top-level teams outside of your usual ACC play, right? Like, this is not the strength-on-strength kind of schedule that I think we saw in previous years, probably 2020 or prior, from this program, wouldn't you say, Jake? Uh, I mean... I, I don't know. I, I really don't think that you can get too far uh, from the best teams in the ACC. I think last year was interesting in that, you know, some of those traditional powers like a Florida State, like a Louisville, weren't necessarily at the top of their game. But, I mean, kind of thinking about it from from bottom up, you're closing the regular season, and this could be a you know, bubble Georgia Tech type team against, yes, they did not have an awesome uh, first year down there last year, but, you know, going on the road to Tallahassee, I don't believe at least somewhat with what he's done at Notre Dame and, and the history of Florida state, that there's going to be something there. Duke, uh, they've really built their program back up the last couple of years. Of course, Auburn is always on midweek uh, Clemson, uh, Eric Backage, you know, great program up there. Those are your last three series. You've got Miami uh, with a, a, a new coach. Uh, so maybe a bit of an unknown there, but a, a historic powerhouse. You've got Virginia, who's been a regular in Omaha, you've got Virginia Tech, who a bit of a down year last year, but two years ago we're in a super uh, uh, super regional. I almost said super sectional. Whoops. Um, you know, yeah, maybe Pitt, Boston College with a new coach. Maybe you find some wins there, but you really can't count out anyone in the ACC. I, I know that it makes me sound like a conference homer, but I mean, you go through the non-con slate in which you get Weekends with Radford, Youngstown State, uh, and uh, and UGA, of course, the, the you know home home or home away neutral type situation. Um, but after that, I mean, it's a gauntlet at every single one of those series, um, except for maybe Radford, Cornell, Youngstown State is 
animately losable, and that's kind of terrifying. It, it's it's a tough slate. I found one trivia question, which is fun to me. I remember Ben bringing this up in our interview, but I wonder. I used Jake's tool for this, so I probably used it properly. Do y'all know the last time we played at Florida State for a series? Twenty nineteen. Before? No, I was gonna say it's it's further back. I don't. I don't think we've played them down there since. No, we played Miami down there that year. I think. No, we, no, we played Miami on the road every other year because the coastal still exists. It's been at least at what six years, Jack? Yes, at least six years. Charles, if you know, chime in too. Uh, yeah, it has been. We had a three-game series. We got swept, uh, pretty badly, but we played it in 2016. March huh. of 2016 was the last time we played there. I remember Ben saying, it's like, hey, I've never played here before. I'm excited to go play in Tallahassee. I'm like, oh, you haven't played in Tallahassee yet? You've been here for ages. And you never played in Tallahassee because <laughs> it was literally I think, 2015. I think 2016. we were supposed to get them in 2020 because that makes sense. I think they just wiped the slate clean because if you I think, think about it, 2016, right. boop. And then 20. Uh, there was a three season gap. We played them at home in 2018 and didn't play them again until 2021. Yeah, because that's about how often you catch the yeah, you catch the Atlantic teams. The scheduling model is so dumb. At some you point, get, they'll just go to only one more year of it. Yeah. Only one more year. I was gonna say you get four more, uh, or you get four Atlantic weekends in baseball. Unlike uh, unlike football used to be, that was that was even more wild. Fourteen years hey, or twelve years between Tallahassee road trips, whatever that was. Starting next year, you can get Gulf of Mexico and Pacific weekends too. Dallas is not on the Gulf of Mexico, sir. If you, Let, if come you, on, even Houston. Come on, it was a go good that, joke. It was a good they, joke. Don't they not I'm have not baseball either? Right? For that. Wait, does no, that I don't even think ha- they do. Yeah, no. there you go. Yeah, unbelievable. Wow, it's just ain't, ain't no rest for the Oche, you know. <laughs> no, just, just no quarter. Just no respect for the for the quality of humor on this program. Unbelievable. Okay, so it's not as bad of a schedule as maybe uh, maybe I thought. I think the non-conference to me is still a little uninspiring, but I think for the most part it's front-loaded, right? Especially a very odd four-game set versus Youngstown State uh, in the middle of or the beginning of March, excuse me. So interesting all around there, gentlemen. I want to ask you this final question uh, before we wrap up here: If you are a out-of-state tech fan and you are only able to come to campus twice during the spring for a weekend series. Which two weekend baseball series would you recommend that that fan go to? Hmm. You can space them however you want. You could do two weeks at the same. You could do two weeks consecutively. You could do two separately. Be creative. I mean, I don't, there's not an obvious one that stands out to me. Um, I don't really have, you know, as you said earlier, just based on the vibes was one of your picks. I'm going to say, I think you should be here for the ACC opener against North Carolina state. Um, it's not even because I think we're going to win that. I think I would be really impressed, you know, in this preseason platform saying like, Hey, you know, Georgia tech's going to take two of three against North Carolina state because, you know, quite frankly, that's a really good team that has the potential yeah. to make a really deep playoff run this year, but it is also the ACC opener. So, you know, I think there's, 
Yeah, I saw something the other day, some other random podcast talking about having rivalry week at the beginning of the year, because at that point, both fan bases are still like really into the season and still like really hype about and hopeful about what the year could be. And so I think I'm kind of putting that in this format, you know, our non-con is kind of not great. Um, I think we'll probably be, you know, probably maybe a little full of ourselves because we should have a lot of wins in our non-conference going into the ACC conference play. And so I think, you know, maybe a confident team, and the ACC opener against a team that could be really great or a team that could be middle of the pack. Uh, so I would say you should be there for the North Carolina State Series. Yeah, I, I'd want to expound on that just a little bit, just because it profiles so similarly to what we saw last year. Um, you know, a team that stacked up wins and then kind of ran into ran into a bit of a buzzsaw. Um, I, I think on the whole. Um, I really thought about getting cute with it and saying that you should make the drive up to Clemson uh, for May 3rd, 4th, and 5th. That sounds like an awesome road trip. I'm sure that now that I've seen that, I may be considering that, but we'll see. Um, But I think in terms of a second uh, home weekend, I I think Miami, uh, April 26th, 27th, 28th, Georgia Tech, uh, you know, by the end of April, we're going to know a lot more about Georgia Tech. I think it's it's a team that really has quite a bit of potential. Um, a, a lot of a lot of wish casting that you could do based on some of the changes that were made. And I think Miami, um, you know, historically a, a pretty powerhouse of a program, uh, maybe a team looking to define itself as well. Uh, I think by April they should be fully settled in. I think that game, uh, that series, uh, if, if things kind of go how both fan bases prognosticate, could very much decide uh, or, or have some sort of. Uh, you know, stake in the coastal. Um, I also think that Miami generally has a little more juice than the Duke series, uh, which is what uh, draws me away from, from the home, uh, from the home finale and, and, and towards that Miami weekend. Oh, and uh, we'll also still have students on campus. So hopefully, you know, if the team's playing well, that should make for a, a good atmosphere as well. A, a 6 PM Friday night game against Miami. If both of those teams are in the mix, that has the making for a, a really fun atmosphere, I think. Box office style game right there. Mm-hmm. Jack, any anything to add on these two selections of the North Carolina State Series and the Miami Series? Uh, in terms of the baseball, literally nothing. Uh, this is where my brain has the shortfall. I think I'll just make one note on the, uh, yeah, what series? The Virginia Tech Series. Uh, Virginia Tech, I believe that they're good at baseball, right? They're one. They're one of them really good yeah. teams. Okay, so you I mean, get good baseball. Not every year, but they're a pretty solid program. Okay, gotcha. Um, with the massive caveat that this is Masters weekend, this is also the weekend of the spring game. So, uh, if you wanted to really, really do everything, I believe there's softball home that weekend as well. So you could do yes, you could is. do a one, two, three punch of softball, baseball, and football all in the same weekend on campus. Uh, so there's there's that option. There is that option if you just want to go all out for a weekend. Friday games at six, Saturday games at four, out of the way of the spring game. And then the Sunday games at one. I've got one more note on the schedule uh, for those that love pain and heart attack games uh, on the road at mm. April uh, or at Auburn, April 16th. Um, that'll be on SEC network for those who cannot make it to Auburn uh, at home on ACC network, uh, May 7th. Uh, those games are always extremely chaotic. Uh, I think it helps having, yeah. you know, midweek pitching type situations in both of those. Um Charles noted that the the non-con is kind of interesting, really, since UGA, I mean, between UGA and Auburn, that used to be five of 
by the midweeks right there. Ever since that's gone to a weekend, these have been your marquee weekday games. And I don't know, this year doesn't seem like it'll be any different. So so keep an eye on April 16th and May 7th. I got to make a note on the colors. We play Auburn April 16th, then we play Virginia next. I'm ignoring this Kennesaw State game in between. Then we play Miami, and then we play Clemson, and then we play Auburn again. There's just so much orange that's going to be on our television screens <laughs> all in a row. And the Kansas State uniforms, if they wear their mustard yellow, it's the eye stores, not the eye stores, just the brightness stays the same. So we were we we're gonna face a lot of orange this year. And Virginia Tech before that too. So like it's already the, it's in the same palette. But, but there, there's a uniform that, segment. To that point, uh Youngstown State, Northeastern, or let me let me get this in order. Georgia, Northeastern, and Youngstown State, all red and black teams in order. Yes. Between March, what is that, March first? And March 10th. Oh, and then NC State in the, the weekend after that. So it was before that, before the North Carolina, before Georgia State uh, is Cornell. So who are literally so called much the big red. red. Literally called it the hurts. big red. You've just listed Burns. half the colors. I don't know if this can still be applicable, but we're ignoring be- midweek. <laughs> we're just ignoring midweek. If it's a midweek game that doesn't apply, it doesn't apply. <sighs> there. Okay. I think we've just about exhausted all of our baseball preview content like we said at the start of the episode that opening weekend is this weekend they'll start uh, on at 4 p.m on friday february 16th uh, versus radford uh, saturday's first pitch is at 2 p.m and then sunday is at one all games on acc network extra Gentlemen, as we wrap up here, any news and notes from around the flats that we still need to go over? Yeah, I've got some. Uh, I'll take a hack at some of these. You guys can feel free to jump in wherever. Uh, Tennis, um, no team ranking updates. For whatever reason, they don't do team rankings uh, this week. But uh, the men are making their presence known. They've got four ranked singles players. That's Andres Martin at 14, Keshav Chopper at 82, Gabriel Brancatelli at 98, and Richard Bijati at uh, 1 2 1. Marcus McDaniel uh, and Keshav Chopper figure in at number 22 doubles. Uh, you know, if, if things start to break Marcus's way, he can break that. Uh, that singles rotation there as well. Interestingly, mm-hmm. uh, we've long talked about the women as being, you know, uh, steady Eddies. They've really only got Carol Lee in the in the rankings, and she's at number fifty three. Uh, the men um, not guaranteeing anything here, but uh, the the fact that they've got four and and potentially a fifth has historically been ranked in Marcus McDaniel. That seems to figure pretty well as uh, we enter the thick of the season. There, good stuff, uh, Jack. Do you have something on swim and dive? Sure, they were at Auburn. Uh, both swim and dive were there. It's the uh, first chance invitational, unlike all the last chance stuff we get late in the season. Um, only big things here. I don't think we had any cuts or anything like that. Kaya Smith for the women uh, won the hundred fly. Uh, Lily Burke got third in the hundred free. Caroline Papp got second. Uh, but beyond that, nothing, nothing too huge. We didn't really win anything. Uh, so our diving wise, Alex Scott was fourth. Luke Dodson was sixth. Um, they are swimming in a week at ACC championships. So we'll see I, if I, that's, that's good. That's the beat they're tapering for anyways. So that's, that that's the, that's where the beat of the boat is going to be. I do want to say, I think that they just simply rebranded it from a last chance meet to a first chance meet. Mm, okay. uh, typically uh, last chance is like the, the last meet before ACC championships. And it's, it's still that that's the, that's the big one to look at coming up in, in a, what a week or so here, Jack. 
yeah, yeah, it's, it starts on Monday. Uh, track and field wise on the individual sports, uh, we had Mac Bloodworth got got second in the eight hundred at the Clemson Tiger Paw invite. Uh, or we also had we had we we're back to Clemson and back to Vanderbilt once again, as as we always do. Uh, that was the only main name there uh, for the guys. The nothing else in terms of big results on the women's side. Uh, Eric Singleton uh, did participate <laughs> in a uh, in, in a race. Uh, so we had you know the tech, we, we had mentioned it at one point I think when we had that practice squad quarterback play golf. We now got Eric Singleton running track uh, officially <laughs> for Tech. So that's fun to see. Uh, and then yeah, that was that was all that I noted from there. Yeah, Eric, I think he got the 200 and the 800, but I cannot really recall off the top of my head there. It was on Instagram that I, I ran into that. Um, in terms of club sports, hockey did have two to close out the year. Uh, they closed uh, Friday the 9th uh, against the University of Alabama Huntsville. They lost 4-7 to seven at the Atlanta Ice Forum. Uh, they also uh, came back with a win to close the year against the same team at the same place. Five to four, they finished five, 15, two, and one on the year. So not quite what we've seen from them in the past, but, uh, you know, they went out with a win. That uh, That's good. <laughs> um, lacrosse did play two games, both against ranked teams, both at home. Home opener uh, Friday uh, was 16-11 win versus number 25, Auburn. Uh, there was a box score posted. Uh, Brooks Bear had four goals on six shots, just froze four on eight. Matt Seifert, three on four himself. Uh, Peter Zagrobelny, uh, he had 11 goals around, allowed on 31 shots, so 20 saves in the difference there. Sunday, the 11th, they beat number 20, Colorado, 15-7. to seven. I think I got those rankings right. So, Good stuff. Good ranked wins there for, uh, well, last check, it was the number four club lacrosse team in the nation. Hopefully that's gone higher in the interim. Gentlemen, I think that about wraps it up for us this week. Thank you, Mr. Purdy and Mr. Grant, as always. And thank you, Charles, for joining us today. Charles, where can the people find your work, what you're up to? Uh, so I'm primarily on Instagram at C Gilly photos, but you know what? I'll be in Atlanta this Friday for the home baseball opener. So if you see a redheaded fellow with a beard carrying a really big lens, please come say hi. Sounds great. Mr. Grant, take us out. Yes, as always, you can find us on fromtherumbleseat.com. We publish articles there. You can find the latest and the greatest, uh, all of tech's various sports there. Uh, you can email us with your ideas, with your feedback at fromtherumbleseat at gmail.com. Please take the time to let us know what you'd like to hear us cover if there's anything out there in the meantime also feel free to rate review on apple and anywhere you find fine podcasts uh, it, it does really help us out and tell your friends word of mouth really does really does matter uh in the meantime you can find us on twitter at fgrs blog i'm at jake grant 98 jack is at jack nicholas you can find section 103 at section 103 and section103.com and you can find us on facebook instagram and youtube at from the rumble seat as always it's been a pleasure good night good luck and go jackets